start with that handout that I gave you. That was um, put together by me and the steering committee of the church before we ever met, before we ever started meeting as a group. It was part of this idea of why would we start another church in Grove um, and what would we be about? And um, so it's interesting. Grace Changes Everything was something that I had, I didn't invent it, but it was something instilled in me years before I came here. It was interesting when I came here, um, Trinity Church in Owasso, which was our ascending church, had that as their tagline, Grace Changes Everything. And our kids came to visit shortly after we were here, and they're like, wow, Dad, they picked up on your, 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 your slogan. I said, no, honey, it's, it's not new to me. <laughs> you know, it, 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 is, um, it is what we believe. And so from everything from the call to worship to the sending away, we are, I am preaching Christ's grace. So when we dive into the depths of the law, when we poke around in hidden sins, when we talk about motives and loves and affections, uh, it is to bring the grace of God to bear on all of those things. Um, and so grace really does change and affect everything. We are to be people of grace. In fact, many people call the doctrines of the Reformation, they call them the doctrines of grace. And it makes sense if you understand the Reformation. Reformation came because grace was being abused. It was being bought and sold. It was in the hands of priests. It was in the hands of the congregants. You know, you could go and pay for sins. You could actually prepay for sins. So, you know, before you and the girls went to Vegas, you could prepay indulgences. There's a story of a, of a man that was before the priest, like, now, if I pay this, uh, I'm covered for all the sins for next week. He's like, yes, my son, you're covered. So he pays it, and then he robs the priest. Right, I mean, that was some of the abuses that were going on. They needed to build St. Peter's Basilica, so they introduced new doctrines in order to raise money. So um, the Reformation doctrines really are uh, doctrines of grace. Our vision, as you see from John 15 and John 17, the knowledge of God, to know him and make him known. Um, it's not just New Testament. It's Old Testament, that you may know when he rescues Israel from Pharaoh, that you may know there is a God in heaven, that, that, that God is revealing Christ to us, that we may know him, and our mission is knowing him, making him known. Um, so I, I put some verses in there that, that kind of point to um, why we do what we do. Um, what is distinctive about our church, and and I hope it doesn't remain distinctive. Like it's it's not some secret doctrines that we want to keep from the Baptists and the Methodists and the Catholics. You know, we don't want them to know. We don't want them to read some of our good theological books. It it uh, my hope is not that it is distinctive. But there are times when I get frustrated over our numbers, when Bo will say, "Hey, Pard, what we're doing here is kind of strange for a lot of people." You know, it's like, it's just, it's hard. You got to know this. Some people want to go and they want to get 15 minutes and feel good about themselves, have some nice coffee and some fun, and they don't want to be necessarily challenged. 
about the state of their hearts. They'd rather maybe get a lesson on how to be a good parent, um, but not, not be called to repentance, not be called to confess. Um, um, but anyway, um, they're not all exclusive to us. But because of these things, then, then here are our commitments. Uh, we are committed to knowing God and making him known. And um, so I, I have said, I don't know if it's in this class or not, but part of the, my burning desires is this man-God relationship paradigm to make sure it's right. That we set that, how, how do we relate to God? How does God relate to us? Um, in, in my preaching and my teaching and any of my leadership to make sure that that's right. Uh, kids that grow up in our church, you who attend regularly in our church, would know how does God relate to us? How do we relate to him? How does his word fit into this? Um, as I was doing um, this, this wedding this week, I mean, it was like these two families that had done everything in their power to raise these godly children, right? And, and doing it all right, you know? They both talked to me, they talked to their parents, uh, they talked to their pastors. They had proceeded through the right processes of counseling. You know, and you, they stand up there and you think, all right, you've done everything right, so you're going to be happy. You know, like, no, that's not true. You know, that's not, that's not what our Bible teaches. But that's what we think. I'm going to do these things, and, and it's going to work out right. It's always going to be right. Um, so we're committed to knowing him and making him known. We're committed to our local church. We are committed to gospel, God-pleasing worship. Again, um, that's one of the, the questions as David and I and Jake work through our liturgy. It's, does this please God? Is it right? Is it true? Absolutely, we want to engage people in our music. Like, we want people to sing. We want you to have that tune stuck in your head. But we want them to all be right and true. Not just catchy, not just fun, not just make you feel good but impress in your mind because that's how we memorize things. So much of what we memorize are songs. My mom, as her brain is gone, I can start singing a song and it's there. You know, all of a sudden, she can't remember the name of her kids or how many she has, but that song impressed in her head from a little girl comes out. And the ladies, the, the ladies that help her like smile, like, wow, she has a beautiful voice. I'm like, yeah, she does. And, um, so our, our worship is to be God-pleasing. We are committed to evangelism of the lost, committed to prayer, living in true biblical community, uh, and to impact our community and the world with the gospel. Um, we are entering into year six for me, uh, year seven for me, and I've never been this long in one place. And I think I've had to deal with some disappointment. I had hoped by year five, that we'd be planting a congregation in Jay. I hope by year seven that maybe we'd be planting a congregation in Miami. And um, it's not played out the way that I thought. Um, it's been it's been difficult, and we've gained people and we've lost people. COVID took its toll. Um, it it's it's been hard, and I, I I bring this before the Lord all the time. Father, are things I'm doing wrong? Is there things we're doing wrong? Um, your glory, not mine, your name, not mine, not the PCA. Help us, lead us, help us to be faithful with who you bring, be they many or be they few. Help us, Father, to be faithful. Help us to, uh, all of 
us in leadership, help us to find our worth, not in the numbers of people that sit, not in the words of men, but in the affirmation of God, the Holy Spirit. Um, but if, if you read these things, you're like, well, we're not doing that very well. Again, that may be a reason you're here. <laughs> you may be here to help us with some of these things. Um, so I want to make sure we got to that. And then if you go back to page 9, I think that's where we left off last week. Did we talk about the role of women in complementarianism? Did we get to that? I don't think we did. Um, that is a really hot topic, and I can't do it full justice now. Um, and so I'm going to refer you to two things you can find on the Internet underneath the Acts 29. So if you look at Acts 29, a lot of their um, uh, position papers, I think, are superior <laughs> to the PCA. Uh, we are a member of the PCA and the Acts 29 Church Planning Network. Um, but in brief, we, we hold to a complementarian view. So it is not a question of ability, wisdom, gift, value, but a question of authority. Does our God have the right to make the requirements for those who hold authority in a marriage, in a church? And he does. And um, we see it not just in the, in the roles uh, of authority in men and women, but we see it in the Old Testament way before, right? We, we, we see that um, he, he takes a whole uh, clan of Levi, a whole, like, like one family, and says, all of the priests are going to come out of this family, right? It, it, it's, I, don't, I don't understand it. Like, it. It doesn't make sense to me, right? Like, like David, King David writes all of these beautiful uh, psalms and sings and worships and wants to build the temple, but there are things he's forbidden to do because he's not born of the tribe of Levi. Then you have the, the people who are born of the tribe of Levi, the sons of Eli, um, horrible, awful priests. And yet by birthright, they're given this position. So authority in the church is different than authority in the world. In the world, authority equals value. Right? If authority, like the boss in a company thinks of himself as more valuable than all those who work for him. Right? He does. And yet, you'll find in many companies, there's that one worker over here that holds everything together. <laughs> You're like, better not lose that person. Right? Better not lose that. You know, but um, in the church, we're called to serve. So leadership in the church is leadership in service. And so when he talks about leadership, when, when the Bible depicts leadership, it says, take Christ as an example, right? Take him as an example. Take his love for the church as an example. He gives himself for her. He denies himself of what is rightfully his in order to bless her. So complementarianism means um, that, that the genders are equal but different. So um, Bruce Ware writes a, a really good article on the Acts 29. It's titled Gender Moves, and I think that's good. And then I, I would read the um, article on complementarianism. It is one of the hardest things that I have to deal with as a pastor because the fact that we don't ordain women uh, often gets translated as we don't love them. We don't think they're gifted. We don't think they can do this. We don't think they can do that. 
and um, it is not a question, as I say, of ability. I mean, I, I used to say this. If we weren't in the PCA, I would be the husband of that really great preacher, Tammy. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was like there's so many ways that she seems better gifted at times to do things like that. That woman can can work even when emotionally she is drained or angry. She can still do the right stuff, you know, and I'm, I'm this emotional midget in the corner like, help me, honey. <laughs> you know, it, it every area of leadership requires humility, requires service. Um, I. It's interesting that the, the wedding I did on Friday from Ephesians 5, the couple said, hey, will you preach Ephesians 5, 21 to 32? I'm like, you mean the wives submit your husbands, husbands are head of the, yes, will you preach, will you preach that? Um, I had to start by saying the first point is trust God. Trust God. Why would we not trust God? If God says, um, this is how my church is to be led, him. Um, I put some text in there, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, 11 to 14, 1 Timothy 2 to 3, Titus 1. Um, so our, our denomination holds that women should not be ordained as ruling or teaching elders. The ordination is, a, um, it is uh, an authoritative role. Okay, so the ordained office means you have authority, and it keeps in line with the the husband is to be head over his family, and and so some of those some of the thoughts behind that is if uh, if a woman is ordained as the elder in the church, then in in the church community she has authority over her husband, and in the home he's supposed to have authority over her. Um, but it's difficult, and I will give you that. It it is interpreted in our culture as hateful um, and demeaning, and I and I hate that it's that way. Um, uh, we'll move on from there um, to church discipline. Church discipline, its purpose. So if we're getting back to the, the question, do you submit yourself to the government and the discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? I, one more thing I want to say about women. When we um, examined Jim to be a deacon, when we examined Bo, the Presbytery examined Bo to be an elder, Jake to be an elder, we looked at their wives and we said, does this man exhibit these qualities within 1 Timothy and Titus? Do you as this man's wife think our church would be blessed to have him an authority? Our church would be blessed. And I might even feel a bit selfish if I say I need you home more. I don't want to share you with the church. And so in, in that manner, and, and it's not just because we're trying to please everybody, it's because that's what the scriptures say. Does he manage his family well? Um, and so the, the, the role of elders, not who gives the most, who was here the first, who's been here the longest, but does that man manage his family in such a way that people look and say, that's how our church needs to be managed? Are his children, is his spouse so loved that people, when they meet them, say, he's done an outstanding job. You know, God has filled that person with these gifts. So anyway, we'll, we'll move on to church discipline. As part of that vow, church discipline, for you to understand the purpose of church discipline and the steps. The purpose of church discipline 
um, is the peace and purity and the restoration of sinners. Um, and so I'm going to tell you this story because it's just it's powerful. In our church plant in, uh, in California, we did communion every week. I had a friend call me. I think it was a Wednesday night late. And he said, I just got home, Pastor, and my wife was in our bed with another man. Um, I'm packing my bags, and I'm ready to leave. And I said, can you please wait? I'm, I'm on my way. Um, and it was a long way, about a 30-minute drive. It was about 1 or 2 in the morning, something like that. So I called my brother, Jonathan, in, Mississippi, in uh, Colorado, wake him up. And I'm like, Jonathan, pray for me. I, I'm about to go meet with this couple and try to pray that the Lord rescues and salvages this. Um, and I don't believe he will. Like, I'm just having trouble. I've had a lot of time with these folks. I'm having trouble. I just, I don't think it's going to. And I, 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 of all people, need to have faith and trust that, that God can restore and, and rescue this. Um, and so we prayed on the phone together. And I arrived. And some of you probably heard this story before, um, but I arrived in a couple sitting together on the couch, hand in hand, and she's been weeping, and you can see it, and she just looks like, I'm sorry, Pastor Mark, I'm sorry, Pastor Kuiper, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, just, uh, you know, it was almost, if you, if you have a child that you keep saying, don't touch that, don't touch that, don't touch that. You know, and it's almost like they have to touch it. <laughs> they just have to touch it, and then they get burned, and then they're like, you're right all along. And that's really how I felt towards this, this young lady. And um, her husband looked at me, and he said, I, thanks for coming. Um, I'm going to forgive her, and I want you to pray that I don't use it against her. Um, I, I, I want to forgive her as Christ has forgiven me for all of my unfaithfulness to him and um, will you pray that I just don't hold it over I don't use it against her and I was like yeah <laughs> you know it's like I don't want to say anything it's like something really amazing and good just happened here then on Thursday the wife calls me and says Pastor Mark I really want to take communion on Sunday am I allowed to take communion on Sunday um is the church going to discipline me and, and, and keep the table from me? And, and, and I, I said to her, um, well, have you repented of your sins? She said, yes. Are you looking to Christ for your salvation? Yes. Then this is probably one of the greatest times for you to come to the Lord's table. So church discipline is not to punish or hold someone's face in it. Hey, we've had people under discipline in our church, and there's different ways we do church discipline, but it is to restore. The idea is to restore, and um, that's the goal always. Not to make an example of someone so they don't tell the truth anymore, so they act better on the outside, but to restore. So the first act of discipline in our church is the preaching of the Word of God. Okay, so you are agreeing to this when you sit here and you hear the Word of God. You are being disciplined. You are being discipled. You are being called to confess sins and put faith in Christ. You are called to renew every week uh, your commitment to the Lord and to receive His grace new and afresh. Um, so if you go to the procedure, 
Matthew 18 really is, it's, it is um, kind of the, the core text of how we as a church deal with discipline. But the first is instruction of the word. The second is individual admonition. So if I become aware of something and I want to tell you, do not gossip to me about someone else in the church because I will go to them and I will say, you, you've told me this, I can't unhear it. Um, you've got a week to go talk to them about what you told me and tell them you told me. And if you need me to step in between and help you reconcile, we can't let, leave this unsaid. This needs to be dealt with. People often get really mad at me. I want to give you fair warning that that's, that's how I handle it. That's how I'm committed to handling it. Um, and, and so you, you need to know that. Um, uh, and I've gone to people in our church after I've done that and said, I, I, I owe you an apology. I shared this. I did this. Uh, I owe you an apology. Please, please forgive me for this. I have probably repented to more people in the church than they've ever repented to me. <laughs> and I, it's probably right because I have a role of leadership and, and it is important that I demonstrate it. I was told the pastors I discipled that we were lead repenters, that we teach our people how to repent of our sins, that we lead them in that just as Aaron would lead the people on the Day of Atonement in, in repenting of his own sins before they all repented of theirs. So the first is instruction of the word. The second is an individual admonition. That's what it says in Matthew. Uh, if, if your brother sins against you, you go to him. Now, it's really important that we do that because that step is often the one that is just not done. I won't go to him. I'm waiting for him to come to me. Well, let me tell you, as it was in my marriage, there's times I hurt Tammy and I didn't know what I did. And for her to sit there and say, well, I'm not telling you, you should know, didn't really work. It just, it just doesn't work. And, and so this is part of that growth in a community. Hey, Mark, you said that joke, and that really bothered me. Right? It really bothered me. Um, it, it helps the believer. It helps mature the believer. I shouldn't talk this way. I, I should grow in this area. I should be aware of how this might affect someone else. So it is on you, if you're wronged, to go to the person, just you and them. The idea is to, to deal uh, kindly with those who have offended you. Um, if that doesn't work, then you call one or more witnesses. That's what Matthew 18 says. You call one or more witnesses, and um, those those witnesses <laughs> so let's say I had uh, I had said something to Kim it was offensive wrong sinful Kim Kim comes and talks to me about it I'm like now you're way off um, that's different because I'm a pastor but I was just a member of the church um, Kim would then say well who does Mark trust is there someone else that he would listen to not who's on my side that I've already prepped <laughs> who agrees with me so we can go and bust chops, right? It is, again, the care of the brother. It's the care of the one that is offended. It is to right them, it is to restore. And, and so my encouragement is always find someone that you both respect and sit them down and say, we're at an impasse here. I feel like I am owed, I am owed an apology. I feel like I've, I've been sinned against and, and they should repent of this and they haven't. And, and, and find a go between and often it, it can stop right there. Again, you're not, you're not hurting people. You're not bringing other people into it. Um, Matthew 18 then says, if, if uh, that doesn't work, then you go to the church. And so 
you as believers then come to the session, right? So me, Bo, or Jake, and we meet as a session, and you say, I have, I have tried these steps to reconcile with this person, and they refuse to be reconciled. Um, sometimes it's, I've sinned against this person, and they refuse to forgive me. Um, they're, they're holding this grudge against me. So oftentimes you hear me when I'm doing the Lord's Supper. I'll say, if you're refusing to be reconciled with a brother, don't come to the table. That's one of our steps of discipline. So if, if the session meets with you and you refuse to repent of a sin, and I know we got to get done here, but the repentance, if it's private sin, it's repented of privately, okay? So I didn't have to tell the church in California, hey, everybody, this lady, she cheated on her husband, right? That, that's no good for the church. It's no good for the health of the church. She repented to the parties that knew. She repented to the parties that knew. Her kids didn't need to know. Right? It, it was not, we're going to bring her up and publicly shame her as a lesson so you never do this. No, it was, it was a private sin, and it was repented of privately. I've had people whose sin has been in the paper, and I have required those people to do a public confession of sin. One time it was an email to the church body. It's come out that I have defrauded people in this way. Uh, I am doing everything I can to make restitution. I've sinned against them. Uh, I need my church family to receive me, and I want you to know that these steps have been taken. Um, and it, when, it, when it's done right, it really is a beautiful thing. It, brings, it, it robs the enemy of that poison that people will share and spread between one and another. Um, so that's, that's really what it means to uh, what our church discipline is. And so we've said that the three marks of the church are the preaching of the word, the sacraments, and the exercise of discipline. Um, so again, uh, to be a member of a church is what a normal Christian should be a member of a church. And a normal church should at least do those three things. It should preach the word, it should administer sacraments, and it should exercise discipline among its members. Again, that's why we have those texts. That's why we have Matthew 18. You know, our God expects that this is going to be part of our life together. So uh, protecting the peace and purity. I might have talked about this. Let me just do three quick things. Uh, purity without peace is legalism. So if, uh, if our church is just, we're known as, everything is theologically correct, but there is uh, really no peace among the brothers and sisters. It produces legalism. Peace without purity is shallow and license. It means we're going to all be friends because we're not going to talk about things that might offend people. Purity without, purity and peace is the gospel. It's the beauty of the gospel. We expect our church to have peace by being pure. We expect our church to have to make peace one to another. Um, not to, we don't go there, but to make peace. Um, the, uh, do you have page 10 in yours, the Acts 29 network? Okay, those are the, the core beliefs and the values of the Acts 29 network. Uh, Acts 29 is not necessarily a denomination. It's a group of churches that band together um, but we have those core common beliefs and and so we give to that network and it may be that part of the money we're giving to is planting reformed baptist churches um, or, or or x29 churches that aren't uh, connected with another denomination so um, that's what that means uh, i also have a packet for those who are new to fill out if you want to join the next steps would be um, I've got a packet to give you. You put your information in there. 
uh, you jot your testimony, and then um, then we have an interview. You meet with the elders. Uh, two elders will meet and we talk. If you're a couple, you can meet together. It's fine. Um, it's not to trick you up. It's to get to know you. And uh, what's important? How can you serve? What do you what do you feel called to doing in our church? Um, do you understand those vows? That's kind of what what happens. Um, and then we have a Sunday where people join, and um, I usually call them up front, and we go through those membership vows in public for everybody. And then I introduce you, and when I introduce you, um, I usually introduce your, your name and then one of your favorite verses. Um, so that's how that happens. So if you're interested, um, I'll give you those papers, and you can contact me, but those are kind of the next steps. Um, there may also be more questions that you need to ask you can make that commitment um it it's a big deal it's important and i expect things of church members one thing i expect is that it is us it's no longer the church or them it's us and i i always want to push people to speak that way the church should do this no we should do this uh the church is missing this. we're missing this um we we do tend to think in america that it's uh, in a consumeristic mindset, I'm choosing to put my time, my, my, my money, my efforts in here. Um, am I going to get a good deal? Uh, it, it's, it's much more organic. Uh, has the Lord called me to be a part of this body? Where is it hurting? Where is it need uh, my gifts? Um, how can I serve? Um, so thank you. Uh, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this church. Thank you for your church. You've made one thing so clear in the New Testament, really in the Old Testament too, is that you are passionate about you saving your people. You are passionate. You will defeat our enemies and you will spend your own son's blood that we might be pure and unblemished and received in your sight. Oh Lord, how wonderful your promises to us. Maybe things said today that are just hard to believe and hard to accept. Lord, I pray that when we come to those things that just maybe even offend us that we think about the cross. What could be more offensive to anyone than the cross? What could be more offensive to a people to say, the only way, the only way I could have been accepted into the kingdom of God is this perfect, holy man had to die for me. May that speak to our value more than our role, more than our gifts, more than anything in this life. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.